you'll remain standing and turn to the backs of your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we will look at our passage for this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I told you we would eventually move a little faster in our series in the book of Revelation, but I will throw out one caveat this morning. We will have to come back and look at this text again, but we are still making more progress than we were beforehand, and I know that those earlier chapters with just the different themes of the book of Revelation should serve you well as we move forward from now on. But here now, O beloved church of the Lord, his very word, it is holy infallible and unfailing. Give it your full attention. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. John tells us at the beginning of this passage that he is a partner with us in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Last week, we ended by looking at these truths and we noted that Christ inaugurated his kingdom in his first coming. All who believe on Jesus Christ are partners together with John in the kingdom of Christ. Now, it is very important to understand that Christ's kingdom comes 
in two stages. The first stage comes in its inauguration, which we have discussed, began, it was inaugurated at his first coming. And so that's the first stage. The first stage comes in its inauguration, and the second stage comes in its consummation, when Christ will return. It was inaugurated in his first coming, stage one, and it will be consummated in his final return, stage two. Now, there are two things that I want to impress upon your minds in understanding the kingdom being inaugurated in Christ's first coming and consummated in his final return. Two things, and that is this. In stage one, the kingdom is veiled. The veiling of the kingdom exists for both believers and unbelievers alike, though in different ways. Because the kingdom is presently veiled, the unbelieving world denies its legitimacy and even its existence. And that is why the kingdom throughout the present age is under tribulation. The unbelieving world will attempt to persecute, deceive, and seduce those in the kingdom so long as it exists in stage one. And this is the tribulation to which the book of Revelation refers. Now it's also veiled to a certain extent to believers. We do not presently see with our physical eyes the rule of Christ seated on his throne. In that sense, it is veiled to us. But we can see the rule of Christ with the eyes of faith, even now in stage one. And that is why we currently walk by faith and not by sight. Because it is presently veiled to us. The kingdom is presently veiled to us. And so it is for these reasons, beloved, that we are called to patiently endure through the tribulation. We patiently endure even unto death through the testimony of our faith in Christ. At stage two. Of the kingdom, Christ will return to consummate his kingdom, and at that time it will be manifested to all. Revelation 1 7 Every eye will see him, both believers and unbelievers. Every eye. And then those of us who are in Christ will walk by sight. So, stage one, it is veiled. Stage two, every eye will see. It will be unveiled. And so you can see why John says that he is a partner with us in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. John himself, facing tribulation, was exiled on account of his testimony to Jesus, to a prison. In Patmos, which was an island off the coast of present-day Turkey. Now, what is so glorious about this letter is that John had a vision 
of the veiled kingdom of Christ. Again, that's what apocalypse means. A revealing and unveiling. He saw the risen and ascended Christ seated at the right hand of God. He saw him ruling over his kingdom, over his church, over all things to the church. Which John begins to speak about uh, this vision in verse 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now we have to stop there for just a moment. There's a lot that really goes into that statement. You've often heard me talk about our worship on the Lord's day. Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday. And after that, the day of worship changed from the last day of the week, Saturday in the Old Testament, to now the first day of the week, Sunday in the New Covenant. Christ being the first to be raised from the dead is the first Of the new creation. Just as Sunday is a beginning to the new week. So Christ's resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. And so after Christ's resurrection. The church began to speak of Sunday. The first day of the week. As the Lord's day. The day of worship for the church. Because the church's worship is a participation in that new creation. Therefore, John, though he was in a prison there in Patmos, was presumably worshiping the Lord as he received this revelation. He says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, that phrase there, in the spirit, we will have to discuss more next Lord's day, Lord willing. But in short, it means that he was brought up into the realm of the spirit to see this vision. He was taken up to heaven to see the risen Lord. He was given an unveiling of the Lord in heaven. Now, all of this is important because here is John in prison on account of the word of God and his testimony for Jesus. Yet he is worshiping the Lord. And is given a revelation of the risen Christ. You have to remember that the Apostle John had walked with Christ for over three years in his earthly ministry. He's the only one of the twelve disciples that remained at the cross with Jesus. He saw Christ on several appearances after the resurrection as well. And then after Christ's ascension up into heaven, he preached the gospel of Christ and maintained his testimony to the gospel. Now, the unbelieving Jews made that difficult for John and the other disciples to do. And they often persecuted Christians. They were stoned sometimes and received different types of persecution. There were also sporadic bouts of persecution throughout the Roman Empire in the first few decades after Christ's ascension. But in the mid-90s, the emperor Domitian 
persecuted Christians more severely than any of the other emperors had before. And the reason why was because he demanded emperor worship in a way that none of the emperors before him had done. And so he demanded this emperor worship from all who were under the Roman Empire. Well, for most people in the Roman Empire, that would not be too difficult to do. Most were polytheistic, believing in many gods. And so to worship the emperor alongside of all their other gods really wasn't that big of a deal. The Jews, because they were monotheists, believing in just one God, were given an exemption by the Roman government from emperor worship, but the Christians were given no such exemption. Christians claimed to belong to a different kingdom and to worship a different king. Therefore, they were greatly persecuted under the emperor Domitian. And this is most likely when John was exiled to Patmos and received this revelation, somewhere around 95 AD. Now, some think that John is actually writing during the rule of Nero before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But emperor worship didn't really start until Domitian. And much of the book of Revelation deals with emperor worship. It's one reason why it's more likely that he is writing somewhere around 95 AD. And so here's John facing persecution and tribulation for the cause of Christ. And he is given this vision of Christ. And he sees the Lord in a different way than he's ever seen him before. And it ultimately gave him great encouragement and strength in a difficult time. And that really, beloved, is what the book of Revelation is all about. Encouraging and strengthening believers in the tribulation. Showing them that Christ has been victorious and will bring final victory at his return. And therefore, they're encouraged to patiently endure. Now... When John first saw the vision, when he first saw the risen and ascended Christ, he was frightened. As I said, he saw the Lord in a way he had never seen him before. Even after the post-resurrection appearances, he sees him in a new way. And so he immediately falls at his feet as though dead. But Christ, however, was not there to terrify him but to give him strength and courage. And therefore, he tells him to fear not. In verse 10, we are told that John heard a loud voice like a trumpet speaking to him. And that sound alone must have terrified him. I have mentioned that the exodus is a major theme throughout the book of Revelation. That The book of Revelation is really pointing out a second exodus. And so Exodus itself is a major theme. And this trumpet sound is very similar to Moses and Israel's experience at Mount Sinai. 
during the time of the Exodus. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, we're informed that Israel heard a loud trumpet blast as God appeared to them on the mountain. And here John hears a loud trumpet as the risen Lord appears to him in this vision. He's having an appearance of God. The sound of the trumpet comes in the appearance of God, which we call a theophany. Moses and Israel had a theophany, an appearance of God at Mount Sinai in the Exodus. And so too, John here hears the sound of the trumpet as he has and experiences a theophany, an appearance of God. Now that trumpet sound is actually the voice of the Lord himself. And Israel at Mount Sinai was so afraid when they heard the loudness of the trumpet that in Deuteronomy 5.25, Israel was recorded as saying, If we shall hear the voice of the Lord anymore, we shall die. And so, just as Israel was afraid at the sound of the Lord speaking. So John is now afraid of the trumpet-like sound of the Lord's voice speaking to him. And when John turned to see the trumpet-like voice, or truly to see the one who possessed that voice, the image he saw was frightening as well. And John describes what he saw. Now, the description is really giving us a symbolic picture. It's symbolism. It's a symbolic picture of Jesus. He's not trying to give us a photographic depiction of Jesus, but simply describing features that symbolically depict who Christ is and what he's done. Here's how John describes him. He saw Christ standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Now we'll talk more about that, the Lord helping us, next Lord's Day. But as he describes his appearance, he goes on to say that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, the description, this description, of the risen Christ's appearance was meant to bring comfort to John, and to the readers of this letter. He's commissioned to write down what he sees. Not just this, but the other uh, portions of the vision as well. And so it's meant to bring comfort to John and to all who are the readers of his letter. And I think you'll see why it brings courage or encouragement and strength as we look at the symbolic meaning of each of these features. For example... His hair being white like wool and snow are meant to symbolize his eternal wisdom. Someone with gray hair or white hair we think of as older and wiser. And so it's to symbolize his eternal wisdom since he is the one who makes righteous judgments. 
His eyes like a flame of fire symbolize his omniscience. He knows all because he sees all. He is all seeing and therefore all knowing. He is all discerning, able to discern to the very heart of a person. And his feet being like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, represent the fact that he has been tested by the fires of affliction. And this is how, beloved, he overcame the evil one by patiently enduring through the fiery furnace of affliction. He's been tested and he's come through, he's passed through that affliction. Just like burnished bronze having come through a fiery furnace. And so, Based on this, we know that he can sympathize with us in the tribulation because he himself has endured his own tribulation. The sound of his voice was like the roar of many waters. If you've ever stood next to a mighty waterfall, you might have an idea of the sound here that John speaks of. This is the voice who spoke from the beginning and brought all of creation into being. Now the two-edged sword which proceeds from his mouth is connected to this in that the two-edged sword is the sword of judgment. And it comes from his mouth because it is the word of judgment which he pronounces. He is the divine judge who will separate the sheep from the goats on judgment day. And finally, it says his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Again, a connection to the exodus. Moses' face shone brightly after seeing the glory of the Lord on the mountain. So bright was its appearance that he had to put a veil over it And the people could not look upon his face. But Jesus is the greater Moses. He has ascended not Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion in heaven. And he has been permanently transfigured by the Holy Spirit. The radiance of Moses' face faded over time. But Christ has been forever transfigured. Even The human nature has been permanently and forever transfigured. And so do you see how this vision of Jesus would have comforted John? And how it is a comfort to us to hear this description of Jesus that John saw. It's really a picture of Christ's deity. Interestingly, John's vision of Christ is similar to Daniel's vision of the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel's vision, one like a son of man approached the Ancient of Days, who is God the Father. In John's vision, the son of man looks like the Ancient of Days. Why? Because Christ himself is divine. Even though he took to himself a human nature and is spoken of as the son of man, yet he is still 
divine. Also, he accomplished the work the Father gave him and has now been transfigured to display the glory that he had with the Father from before the foundation of the world. The eternal Son, the incarnate eternal Son, looks like the ancient of days because having laid down his life and raised from the grave, has been transfigured and now displays the glory that he had with the Father from before the foundation of the world. And this would have been encouraging to John as he now sits in prison being persecuted and needing to patiently endure his own tribulation. And so it should be encouraging to us as well as we face the different struggles that we all encounter in this fallen world, in this evil age. Now, the last thing I want us to consider is the self-description that Jesus gives of himself in verses 17 and 18. As we've Already discussed, John's reaction to this vision frightened him. But Jesus responded to him saying, fear not, and gives this self-description. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, this self-description essentially describes the same thing that the symbolism of his features describes. What I mean is that this self-description also points out the deity of Jesus and what he accomplished. That he is the first and the last means basically the same as being the Alpha and the Omega, which he has already said in earlier verses. Being fully God, He is the Alpha Creator. He existed before all things, and in Him all things hold together. But not only is He the Alpha Creator, He is also the Omega Consummator. In other words, He is moving all things to their glorious end. Colossians chapter 1.16 I think summarizes this perfectly. It says, all things were created through him and for him. They were created through him because he is the Alpha. They were created for him because he is the Omega. He is the goal and purpose for which they were created. He is the beginning and the end, the eternal Son of God. But he doesn't end there. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. What a beautiful synopsis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus being the incarnate son of God is the source of life itself. 
Yet he laid down that life in order to purchase the redemption of his people. Nevertheless, death could not hold him. And how could it hold him? How could death hold him who is the source of all life? He rose from the grave, conquering death, never to die again. Which leads to the last and the greatest of Christ's self-description here to John. He said, he now possesses the keys of death and Hades. To possess the keys of something is to have authority over it. In Christ's death, he conquered death and Hades, which is the realm of the dead, or perhaps simply the grave. Now we know that Christ won the victory, but it's important to understand that Christ's victory did not merely come from the resurrection. I think sometimes that's how we think. It's not as if Christ was the victim on the cross, but then the victor at the resurrection. He was the victor even at the cross. It was in dying that he conquered death. If you've ever seen one of those movies where the warrior hero fights against a a mighty beast or a mighty dragon... This bee seems too difficult to defeat, but the warrior knows just how he is able to slay him. He lets the terrifying beast swallow him whole, and then he pierces through his more penetrable inner belly. Now, while in the belly of the beast, everyone thinks that the warrior has died. And then when he reappears from the defeated dragon or from the defeated beast, everyone sees that he is the victor. Well, the warrior hero was the victor all along. And so it is with Christ. He entered death as the victor. And he slayed it. And now he has authority over it. He has authority over death and Hades. And throughout the book of Revelation, death and Hades are really personified. And they are made to look like defeated the defeated foes of Christ. Now you, can you imagine the comfort that this would have given John who was currently in an earthly prison? on account of his testimony for Jesus Christ, and wondering if he may die there in prison. He would have been encouraged knowing that though man can imprison him, and even take his life here on earth, that they could never imprison him in the second death, which is the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, after Christ has judged the living and the dead on judgment day, we discover that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Death and Hades as a prison cannot hold on to John or to any other believer who is in Christ. And cannot take, be taken with it to 
to the second death, to the lake of fire. Why? Because Christ himself holds the keys. He has authority over death in Hades. You see, John was being encouraged to patiently endure the tribulation. And this, beloved, is the encouragement that we, too, need to hear today. Christ is the eternal one and has conquered death by his own death. And he holds the keys to death in Hades. In stage one of the kingdom, we will face tribulation. But whatever we may face here in stage one can do us no harm when Christ returns in stage two of the kingdom. So long as by the power of the Spirit we maintain our testimony to Jesus Christ even unto death. Beloved, we conquer death by bearing witness to Christ as we, in, as we patiently endure the tribulation. As we patiently endure the persecution. As we patiently endure deception and seduction, temptation. That is how we overcome. By patiently enduring these things even unto death. think Paul puts it beautifully, beginning in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To Him be all glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank You. That we can know of victory, even in the present evil age, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of tribulation and persecution and temptation. Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ who has already endured and who is seated at your right hand. And may we not turn to the right or to the left. But may we follow after him. May your spirit cause us to persevere to the end. May your spirit be at work alongside the word in our lives to build us up and to grow us in knowledge and wisdom and to build up our faith that in every situation that we encounter, we might glorify you here on earth and that we might bear witness to Jesus Christ, our faithful Redeemer. It's in His name we pray.
Amen.